Today is the 19th day of June. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I'm Brian. It's great to be here with you today to take the next step forward on the adventure that we're on. Uh, The epic adventure of a journey through the entire Bible in a year. And uh, we are definitely moving along, if you can believe it, about a week and a half and we will have reached the halfway point. I find that hard to believe, but I do believe it. It happens every year. But yeah, we're, we're nearing the halfway point, so well done. But we're not there yet. We're here. And uh, we've been reading from the Amplified Bible this week, which is what we'll continue to do. 1 Kings chapter 20 and 21 today. Benadad, king of Aram, Syria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were allied with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria, Israel's capital, and fought against it. Then he sent messengers to the city, to Ahab, king of Israel, and he said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine, your wives and your children, even the fairest also are mine as conditions of peace. The king of Israel conceded his defeat and answered, By your word, my lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. The messengers returned and said, Thus says Benadad, I indeed sent word to you saying, You shall give me your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. But about this time tomorrow I will send my servants to you, and they will search your house and the houses of your servants, and they will take with their hands, they will confiscate whatever is desirable in your eyes and carry it away. Then the king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said, Please observe and see how this man is seeking our destruction. For he sent messengers to me for my wives, my children, my silver, and my gold, and I did not refuse him. All the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent to this additional demand. So he said to Benadad's messengers, Tell my lord the king, Every demand you first sent to your servant I will do, but I cannot do this additional thing as a condition of peace. And the messengers left, and they brought him word again. Benadad sent word to him and said, May the gods do so to me, and more also, if there is enough dust left of Samaria for handfuls for all the armed people who follow me. The king of Israel answered, Tell him, A man who puts on his armor to go to battle should not boast like the man who takes it off after the battle has been won. When Benadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking in the temporary shelters, he said to his servants, Station yourselves. So they stationed themselves against the city of Samaria. Then a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, and said, 
Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great army? Behold, I will hand them over to you, and you shall know without any doubt that I am the Lord. Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord, By the young men, the attendants or bodyguards of the governors of the districts. Then Ahab said, Who shall begin the battle? And he answered, You. Then Ahab assembled and counted the young men of the governors of the districts, and there were 232. After them he assembled and counted all the people, all the sons of Israel, 7,000. They went out at noon, while Benadab was getting drunk in the temporary shelters, he and the 32 kings who were helping him. The young men of the governors of the districts went out first, and Benadad sent men out, and they told him, saying, Men have come out of Samaria. And he said, Whether they have come out for peace or war, take them alive. So these young men of the governors of the districts went out of the city, and the army followed them, and each one killed his man. And the Arameans, the Syrians, fled, and Israel pursued them. Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on a horse with horsemen. The king of Israel went out and struck the riders of the horses and chariots and killed the Arameans in a great slaughter. And the prophet approached the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, and observe and see what you have to do. For at the first of next year the king of Aram, Syria, will come up against you. Now the servants of the king of Aram said to him, Israel's God is a God of the hills. That is why they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. Do this. Remove the thirty-two allied kings, each from his place, and put captains in their place, and assemble an army like the army that you have lost in battle horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their words, and did so. At the first of the year, in spring, Benadad assembled and counted the Arameans, the Syrians, and went up to Aphek, east of the Sea of Galilee, to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were counted and given provisions, and they went to meet them. The Israelites camped before the enemy like two little flocks of goats, with everything against them except God, and the Arameans filled the country. A man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Arameans have said, the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. I will give this great army into your hand, and you shall know by experience that I am the Lord. So they camped opposite each other for seven days. Then on the seventh day the battle began, and the sons of Israel killed 100,000 of the Aramean foot soldiers in a single day. But the rest ran to the city of Aphek, and the city wall fell on twenty-seven thousand of the men who were left, 
Ben-Hadad escaped and came into the city, going into an inner chamber to hide. But his servants said to him, We have heard that the kings of the house, a royal line of Israel, are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our loins and rope on our necks as symbols of submission and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they put sackcloth around their loins and ropes on their necks and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Benadad says, Please let me live. And Ahab asked, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the man took it as a good omen and quickly understanding his meaning said, Yes, your brother, Benadad lives. And the king said, Go, bring him. Then Benadad came out to him, and Ahab had him come up into the chariot. Benadad, tempting him, said to him, I will restore the cities which my father took from your father, and you may set up bazaars, shops of your own in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab replied, I will let you go with this covenant, this treaty. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to another by the word of the Lord, Please strike me. But the man refused to strike him. Then the prophet said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you leave me, a lion will kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. Then the prophet found another man and said, Please strike me. So the man struck him hard, wounding him. So the prophet left and waited for King Ahab by the road and disguised himself as a wounded soldier with a bandage over his eyes. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the middle of the battle. And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If for any reason he is missing, then your life shall be required for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. But while your servant was busy here and there, he escaped and was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, Such is your own judgment or verdict. You have determined it. Then the prophet quickly removed the bandage from his eyes, and Ahab, the king of Israel, recognized him as one of the prophets. He said to the king, Thus says the Lord, Because you have released from your hand the man, Benadad, whom I had devoted to destruction, your life shall be required for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house, resentful and sullen, and came to Samaria. Now it came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, close behind the winter palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a garden of vegetables and herbs, because it is near my house. I will give you a better vineyard for it, or, if you prefer, I will give you what it is worth in money. 
But Nabal said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab, already upset by the Lord's message, came into his house feeling more resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat any food. Then Jezebel, his wife, came to him and asked him, Why is your spirit so troubled that you have not eaten? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Get up, eat food, and let your heart rejoice. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelites. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. Now in the letters she wrote, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless and unprincipled men opposite him and have them testify against him saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived there, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Two worthless and unprincipled men came in and sat down opposite him, and they testified against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed and renounced God and the king. Then they brought him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, she said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to sell you, because Naboth is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession of the victim's property? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will lick up your blood as well. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, says the Lord, I am bringing evil, catastrophe on you, and will utterly sweep you away 
and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house, your descendants, like that of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for provoking me to anger and making Israel sin. The Lord also spoke in regard to Jezebel, saying, The dogs will eat the body of Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The dogs will eat anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, and the birds of the air will eat anyone who dies in the field. There certainly was no one like Ahab, who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very repulsively in following idols, in accordance with everything the Amorites had done, whom the Lord expelled from the land before the sons of Israel. Now when Ahab heard these words of Elijah, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly, mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil, the catastrophe in his lifetime, but in his son's days I will bring evil upon his house. Acts 12, 24, through 13, 15. But the word of the Lord, the good news about salvation through Christ, continued to grow and spread, increasing in effectiveness. Barnabas and Saul came back from Jerusalem when they had completed their mission, bringing with them John, who was also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets who spoke a new message of God to the people, and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them in approval and dedication and sent them away on their first journey. So then being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When Barnabas and Saul arrived at Salamis, they began to preach the word of God, proclaiming the message of eternal salvation through faith in Christ in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John Mark as their assistant. When they had traveled through the entire island of Cyprus as far as Paphos, they found a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was closely associated with the proconsul of the province, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent and sensible man. He called for Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God concerning eternal salvation through faith in Christ. 
But Elemis, the sorcerer, for that is how his name is translated, opposed them, trying to turn the proconsul away from accepting the faith. But Saul, who was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit and led by him, looked steadily at Elemis and said, You, Elemis, who are full of every kind of deceit and every kind of fraud, you son of the devil, enemy of everything that is right and good, will you never stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now watch. The hand of the Lord is on you, and you will be blind, so blind that you will be unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he groped around seeking people to lead him by the hand. The proconsul believed the message of salvation when he saw what had happened, being astonished at the teaching concerning the Lord. Now Paul and his companions sailed from Paphros and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now they went on from Perga and arrived at Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the writings of the prophets, the officials of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, kinsmen, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Psalm 137 An Experience of the Captivity By the rivers of Babylon, there we, captives, sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, the city God imprinted on our hearts, on the willow trees in the midst of Babylon we hung our harps. For there they who took us captive demanded of us a song with words. And our tormentors, who made a mockery of us, demanded amusement, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange and foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her skill with the harp. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you. If I do not prefer Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of the fall of Jerusalem, who said, Down, down with her, to her very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, how blessed will be the one who repays you with destruction as you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Proverbs 17, 16 Why is there money in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom 
when he has no common sense or even a heart for it. All right, so uh, today we read Psalm 137, and it's, uh, you know, it's a dark, lamenting song about people who have been carried away from their homeland, and their homeland has been destroyed and assimilated. And so their captors are saying, sing us some of your songs. And they're like, how can we, how can we do that? Like, uh, we're brokenhearted. How, how can we, how can we do that? So, so we've, we've got a little bit of a time difference here. The ancient Israel we're reading about in first Kings was divided into two kingdoms, right? We remember that right after Solomon's reign, the Northern kingdom of Israel and the Southern kingdom of Judah. Neither of those kingdoms endured. So, like, that's the thing. Often, um, just kind of in our mindset, not understanding history, we think of Israel in a modern context as if it's been a contiguous, constant, populated place by the Hebrew people since the Bible. That's not exactly how it, how it went, the northern and the southern kingdoms that we're reading about in the Bible, neither one of them survived. Eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel was, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And we've seen the Assyrian, right? Benadad, right? Coming and attacking and God pushing them back. But eventually, Assyria will conquer the northern kingdom. And then later, the kingdom of Judah will fall to the Babylonian Empire. And these are all stories that we will encounter because uh, the biblical narrative will take us through that territory. But before we get there, just understanding um, just a few things will be helpful. When empires invaded and conquered new territory, they began a process of, of basically systematically destroying the underlying culture in these captured lands. So... When we see these captors asking the Hebrew people, sing us songs of Zion to amuse them, this is kind of one way of saying, you know, that was, these are old songs. You are not there. Just um, basically amuse us with your songs of worship for your God who did not protect you from us. So one of the ways of uh, assimilating conquered people into the empire was was exile. And so people who had been conquered would be taken from their homeland and resettled somewhere else in other conquered lands where those people had been sent somewhere else, right? Mixing it all up so nobody has uh, anything native. Everyone's an exile in some way after they've been conquered and then in future generations, as the people assimilate, as they become a part of the empire, then they forget over the generations. They'll forget their history. They'll forget their allegiances to anything other than the empire because they won't remember anything else. That's the perspective of what we're reading in Psalm 137. Right? Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem and we hung our harps on, on branches uh, because our captors were demanding, uh, demanding us to sing, 
sing, sing one of those songs of Jerusalem, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? So when we read the words of Psalm 137 through the lens of exile, then they become profoundly meaningful because we know why they're being said. The people had been displaced. They had been hauled out of their homes. They had been forcibly resettled in faraway lands. Uh, I mean, families were torn apart. Uh, some going one place, some going another, like, and maybe, maybe never to ever see each other again. And, uh, of course, you know, most of the conquering happened through, through war, so a, a lot of people had died, and the land was pillaged. So where there was once a homeland and life and laughter, uh, now there was lament. And it helps us just to understand this because this is territory we will go into, but also just to consider, have you ever felt like this? Like, have you ever felt like you were in exile? Like, like the life that you used to have that was familiar to you somehow got tipped upside down and you don't recognize the world anymore? We've all faced these seasons, whether it's through the death of someone we loved or through the betrayal of someone that we loved or, or some other way that our soul has been crushed. Psalm 137 lets us know that we're not alone. We're not the only ones like Elijah thought when he was in the cave. We're not the only ones to ever feel this way. And, uh, and we have to appreciate that, that this psalm doesn't, you know, it doesn't end with some sort of nice little bow, like some frosting on top, as we're so prone to do. It, it, just, it just sits there, being honest. So uh, if you're kind of feeling like, I relate, I, mean, I haven't been conquered and pulled into a new land, but I relate to what exile might feel like, then be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. You, you may be closer to yourself and to God than, you, than you've ever been. You just don't recognize it because it's not what you're familiar with. But, but believe me on this. Uh, God is not avoiding your honesty. N no matter what your honesty looks like. It's your dishonesty. Uh, that he would rather do without. That's the problem. So exile wasn't the end of the story for these people. We're just reading a, a psalm from the time that they were in exile. And we'll get to all that. It's not the end of your story either. But, but hiding and denying what's really going on isn't going to help. Honest and uh, feel the honest embrace of your Father. And Father, we, we come to you needing that embrace. We, we need that comfort as we consider uh, the many disruptions that can happen on any given day or week or month. And, and sometimes we're so disruptive that nothing looks familiar anymore. It's life, life as we knew it has come to an end and now we have to find a new way forward. 
And uh, we feel so alone when we're not alone. And so we come running to you and we're honest before you about how bad this hurts. Uh, we just can't put a boat on it right now. We just can't spin it for the positive right now because it's not. But you will lead us forward. And something good will come from this. And we believe that you are good. And we believe in hindsight, things will start making sense. And so we cling to you from this place, this place that we don't really want to be in, this place that feels like exile. We cling to you. You are our only hope. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Lead me beside the water so still. Let me catch my breath. Let me drink my fill. Let me lie in fields of green. Oh, oh, oh.